Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. It's June 2nd and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie. And as always, I'm here with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. I mean, we are now officially two months into the great crypto slump. <laughs> but I, I think that this week brought with it some much needed calm. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting to feel that calm. Where's this calm coming from for you? <laughs> well, it did. I mean, I guess what I'm thinking about here is I, I think that, you know, even though we're in this slump, like to a degree, this was destined to happen, right? There's always these sort of having events and, and chaos and everything like that. Um, but we started to see in some pockets of the markets, a little bit of stabilization, maybe finding the bottom. And overall, I think it was uh, not you know, at least a not criminal news week, which is a nice change. <laughs> it is. It is. Not always good when you're running a, a weekly news podcast, but good for just the, the world in general and maybe our, our crypto balances. Um, it's quite quite helpful. Uh, but speaking of, you know, we're going to, we've got a few interesting stories to dive into today. Yes, of course. We're going to at least briefly talk about Luna and stablecoins as a whole. Uh, we've got some news in the world of Cardano. Yeah, Cardano's still a thing. Um, the block Bitcoin report, some more cash being thrown around by Binance. And of course, the wonderful Goblin Town NFT collection, which I just can't wait to talk a little bit more about. Uh, so we're going to jump into our first story of the day right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step -step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. The first story of the day comes from, you guessed it, Tron. Remember Tron, that strange cult-like uh, crypto project that spun up in 2017, I think, me and you, Austin, we talked about this a little while ago, headed up by the the fearless leader, Justin Sun, uh, which was the guy that also acquired BitTorrent. Uh, do you remember back in 2018, Austin, when we were we, we had that oh, yeah. interview with Bram Cohen? Yeah, just after uh, Justin Sun had, had acquired um, BitTorrent from him, which was kind of interesting. But the, the news here is that Tron has kind of out of nowhere, but for a very specific reason, all of a sudden become DeFi's third largest blockchain by TVL, total value locked. And a lot of this has came down to, you guessed it, they've launched an algorithmic stablecoin. <laughs> no, we do not learn from our mistakes. And uh, USDD, which is the, uh, the stablecoin, the algorithmic stablecoin that is running on the Tron blockchain, operates almost exactly as how uh, UST on Terra operated, where it's backed by the native token TRX for the Tron blockchain, just like 
how Luna was the native uh, token on the Luna blockchain. Uh, sorry, the Terra blockchain. And um, you redeem and burn TRX to stabilize the uh, the peg. Now, the project is run by the very controversial Justin Sun, who's, I don't know if anyone here has read, or, or at least anyone hasn't read, the article published in The Verge recently called The Many Escapes of Justin Sun. Uh, it was uh, written by Christopher Harlan Dunaway. Incredible piece of journalism. Justin Sun has came out to say all of it is false, uh, but you know it highlights a lot of scandal and a whole host of illegal activities that have uh, been alleged um, at the, the doorstep of Justin Sun, both from his Tron time and his his spell after acquiring Poloniex, uh, the now almost infamous um, crypto exchange. But just to come back a little bit to the, the whole kind of Tron blockchain becoming a, a huge force in DeFi right now, there's around about $6 billion locked in TBL uh, on the Tron chain. And I think this is kind of the thing that's more concerning in all of this, because I, I will say in all of this, I am not against algorithmic stablecoins as a whole. I do think they're a really important innovation. I think we need to be rethinking the model. Um, I, I've been a, a very vocal advocate of the Frax ecosystem, and they are like partially backed algorithmic stable coins. And I think that um, the, the team there are taking in some of what's happened uh, with the, the Luna Terra situation, and they're making some changes. With... With this on the Tron blockchain, it, it looks like none of that is being um, really listened to. And they're just basically building out and trying to absorb the vacuum that that has come with the, the crash of, of Terra and Luna. And like Terra, uh, th th there is also the promise of more than 20% APY offered from staking um, it's kind of like the anchor protocol equivalent here on uh, the Tron blockchain. I think one of the biggest ones is Just Lend. Um, so very attractive APY. I will say like that the silver lining in all of this is the market of USDD, which is the the, the stablecoin, is nowhere near what UST was uh, the Terra uh, stablecoin. Um, but it's still just over $600 million. Um, and of course, UST was well into the billions. Um, I want to say $14 billion, but I could be wrong. Uh, but I think it was around that, Austin, wasn't it? Some, somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about a completely different level of market. But of course, this is the beginning. <laughs> and the well, timing yeah. is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I, the thing that concerns me the most about all of this is, in all honesty, the person behind the project. Um, I just finished up uh, listening to, well, reading uh, via audiobook, at least, um, Laura Shin from the Unchained podcast, her book. I don't know if you've read this, uh, The Cryptopians. Um, it's a very similar storyline with a lot more detail to The Infinite Machine. Um, she talks about the the birth of Ethereum. In, uh, incredible book, uh, The Infinite Machine. I, I also enjoyed The Cryptopians as well. But Justin Sun was mentioned in there, in both of those books, actually, I believe, and uh, where, you know, there's just a lot of 
um, controversy around the time that they did the Tron ICO, where he kind of fleed China the last day. There were allegations of insider trading from him. Um, and yeah. wild ride. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's just not a lot of good stuff that comes out. I, so I think needless to say, I'm pretty skeptical of where this will end well. My, my favorite recent story about Justin Sun is him complaining that the Ukraine government, yes, the country that is currently besieged in war, wouldn't airdrop crypto to Tron users who donated funds to the war effort. This is, is if there is a... If there is a single story that encapsulates my pessimism around the leader, the leading figure of this uh, project, it's probably that. And um, you know, I'm I'm incredibly wary of these cult-like figureheads in crypto that have just developed this mass following and confidence, and just have the power to pull the rug from under so many people's feet um, very, very quickly. So something that uh. I'm sure we're going to be keeping an eye on, and I hope that this ends well, but I I don't feel overly confident. I don't know about you, Austin. Yeah, I um, I, I, I feel the same way. I think that, I, I know that, I believe he's based in Granada now. I believe he's actually... Uh, <laughs> he's like an ambassador or something. Yes, it's he's just... an ambassador to the, like the, a Grenadian ambassador to the World Trade Organization. There's a bunch of bizarre stuff happening there. And that's actually another thing that kind of concerns me is like how that is going to play out from a regulatory perspective. We're, we'll talk about this in our next story, but there's some interesting regulatory stuff playing out in South Korea right now with Doquan. Um, and... I, you know, wonder, like, if we were to see a similar scenario play out with Tron, um, <laughs> you know, how how governments um, that are maybe a, a little less uh, equipped for this type of stuff would handle it. Yeah, I agree. Well, with that, why don't we jump into our second story of the day? All right. We can't have an episode of Off Chain without talking about Terra. Of course, please, Austin, please, one more time. I just one <laughs> episode. Can we not have Luna? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'm hoping that this is the last one for a little while because I think it kind of puts the nail in the the coffin um, that is this uh, huge mess. But Luna has rebooted, as we discussed last week, by way of Terra 2.0. And somewhat predictably, it fell over 70% just a few hours after its launch. It actually really surprising. Really surprising. <laughs> well, you know what? Believe it or not, Matt, I think that to some people it was. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> and, is the sad thing. Yes, exactly. Um, but it did peak at around $19.54, and then it fell just a couple hours later to around $3.90. And I believe as of our recording right now, it's trading around $7. So it has... Uh, recovered slightly. But of course, if you were buying in at that high point, as so many people were, um, you've lost over half of your holdings. So, or your investment rather. Um, what's interesting about this though, it, to me is last week, we also covered how many exchanges, including large exchanges, uh, were accepting Luna and backing Terra 2.0. Jesse Powell, the CEO of Kraken, 
was recently quoted as saying Bitcoin traders don't pay the bills. So I think that we can Yikes. start to understand maybe where some of the motivation behind that was not so much, you know, a confidence in the technology, but rather um, an economic motive. Uh, I, I'm I'm jumping to conclusions there, but I think you can. Read I, I, I think lines. there are there are fair conclusions to 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 jump to. Uh, being being involved in this world and having to work with centralized exchanges, um, I I've experienced firsthand how they work, and I don't want to paint everyone with the the same brush here. But the model's pretty simple. It's exchanges make cash from high taking fees of high trading volume. High trading volume happens in high profile projects, regardless of whether that token goes up. Or down in price, trading is happening, and exchanges are making money. You know, and I think it's uh, in one way. You know, it's easy to point a finger at the exchanges, but the the incentives are not aligned very well here, right? This it's it's their business model. This is how it all works. Um, yeah, and, I mean, in yeah. some ways, it it's it is interesting because theoretically, an exchange can make money in a bull and a bear market, basically mm. making money off of the exchanges that are happening on the run-up and on the sell-off. Um, but uh, it creates these sort of perverse uh, incentives where by, you know, you may say, oh, okay, well, if like uh, Kraken or, uh, you know, Binance or whoever is um, accepting Terra 2.0 and thus allowing Luna to be exchanged through it, then there must be some legitimacy to it, right? But uh, and I think that historically there is some truth to that. This one has really sort of you know challenged me a bit <laughs> in that regard, and apparently has also challenged the South Korean government as we've been covering over the the last several weeks. They are scrambling to uh, lock down their regulatory environment. And the latest step in their scramble has been launching a new crypto oversight committee specifically in response to Terra's collapse. It's going to be called the digital asset committee. It'll launch in early June. And if you kind of read into this, really what it is, is it's actually just a stopgap, a temporary measure that they're putting into place until their forthcoming framework act for digital assets is enacted and a, a formal government entity will be devoted um, to crypto once that is established. But they're moving it as, as quickly as they can. And you can see how these crashes and, and volatility and uh, borderline illicit, if not blatantly illicit moves um, have, you know, caused total panic within these regulatory bodies. At the same time, set to the background of all of this, Cardano has jumped somewhere around 25, 30% and Bitcoin and Ethereum have recovered a bit. Seems like they've bottomed out somewhat as I mentioned at the intro of this episode. So Cardano, Cardano jumped to 67 cents yesterday. Currently it's trading at around 58 cents. So it went down a little bit since then. But during that time, it reached a market cap of around $22.6 which which is interesting because it made it the sixth largest cryptocurrency. It actually overtook XRP. But mm. uh, it's still, even so, down over 78 80% from its all-time high of $3.10, which was recorded in September of 2021. But I think that what's interesting about all of this is that 
there is a, there appears to be some clear reasons behind the the recovery and the explosion of Cardano. One of which is increased DeFi activity on the Layer One blockchain. Back in August of 2021, Cardano launched its Alonzo fork, which brought the ability to develop DeFi applications on top of Cardano. And then, of course, that led to that huge spike to $3.10 in September. Uh, but currently, there are 92 decentralized apps uh, built on Cardano, and they're seeing an uptick in activity. So I think that that explains some of the reasoning behind the jump, but also glad to see that we might be getting a little bit of stabilization with uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Cardano, I, I feel like when whenever you say anything negative about Cardano as well, it's probably like the biggest following that comes out on Twitter to jump at you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I, I feel like Cardano has been the project that historically has promised the most and delivered the least in terms of like what it has promised to token holders, non-token holders, etc. So yeah, them them actually launching um, some of like the, the DeFi apps and being able to like do more with smart contracts on Cardano uh, last year. I think they were also, they've been trying to stimulate some kind of like NFT activity on there. I'm, I, I'll admit, I don't, I haven't been and explored the Cardano blockchain for a long time now. So I'm not sure how active that is, but I certainly haven't seen it come up uh, much in my circles, but be, be interested to, to, to see how that kind of plays out. But overall, it seems like we're kind of stabilizing a little bit, at least over the past week. Um, and yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes over the next couple of weeks. All right, let's let's jump in the third story of the day. This story has to be my favorite story in quite some time. And this is the story of the Goblin Town NFT collection exploding in popularity over the past week or so. And it's actually claimed the second spot in OpenSea's seven-day trading volume, ranking just behind Board Ape Yacht Club. And just to put that in perspective, that that's around 3,000 ETH in seven-day trading volume that this brand new project has done in the peak of us moving into, what was it, something like eight consecutive weeks of Bitcoin being down, NFT markets being really stagnant, and overall just very bearish sentiment. Uh, the floor price of the project is 5.9 ETH, and that just seems to continuously be be growing. But why am I talking about this? Isn't this just another profile picture project that is getting some traction is going to die out? Well, maybe. But I think the thing that's really interesting about this is it's kind of a, it's somewhat of like a counterculture project to the popularity of NFTs. If you go on, I think it's a goblintown.wtf. And uh, in their own words, <laughs> yeah, it's this great. In their own words, they have no roadmap. There is no discord and no utility. And, and they have purposely tried to make these profile pictures as ugly as possible. Uh, there's 10,000 of them and you could initially mint them for free um, or at least one of them for free and you just pay gas. So, I mean, if you manage to pick up one of them, you've made a really nice uh, uh, profit. But I think the fact that they've become popular project right now is a signal of, of where we're at in market sentiment. Um, you know, the... The, the whole emphasis and 
part of the project is to almost like make fun of the ridiculousness of uh, the the market conditions and obviously when we're in bearish conditions being referred to as as Goblin Town. But I think that the way that I found out about this project is, and I, I just I, I just love the dedication to ridiculousness of this project was. They hosted a Twitter Spaces. I don't know if you've seen this yet, Austin, where for for nearly 10 hours, they all <laughs> just made goblin sounds. It's like mainly grunting. I, I've got a clip of this. Let's just let's just listen to a few seconds of this Twitter Spaces that went down. Um, and and this is just the, the founding team as well as everyone. This went on for over 10 hours. Were you guys thinking about like dropping a token? Maybe? Like- <laughs> What am I listening to? What even is my life? I I don't I I don't understand what's happening. Ten hours. I think it actually went on for longer. That's all they did. There were people that stayed in there for the whole time and all they did was make these ridiculous noises. And yeah, people have gone crazy for it. Some of the rarer goblins have sold for over 69 ETH. That's like 135k USD on looks rare. This is, um, <laughs> on one hand, I think does kind of like, it, it's it's a beautiful project in a way because it does show that um, it, it puts a bit of a spotlight on how ridiculous some some projects can be. It doesn't take itself too serious. The fact that it literally says it has no roadmap, no Discord, no utility, nothing, and people are still valuing these really high, but it also does actually show that the power of like community and everyone coming together to whether this is like meme level enjoyment or just everyone connecting and just enjoying something and taking it a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, yeah, I would recommend anyone go just check out the website, go on their Twitter, check out some of their Twitter spaces, and uh, yeah, enjoy making goblin noises for the foreseeable future. <laughs> oh man, good times. All right, let's move on to our fourth story. So, Block's 2022 Bitcoin report is out, and it makes a pretty interesting observation. The more you know about Bitcoin, the more optimistic you are. Now, of course, the keen observers among you will know that I personally work for Block, but I'm actually excited about this report regardless of my affiliation with the company. It has some really interesting data in it. We'll link to the report itself. Austin actually actually wrote this whole report. This is just a (laughs) shameless shill of his own work. Uh, No, I'm only joking. Man, I I wish I could take credit for that because it actually does have some really cool data in it. it's a survey of over 9,500 people from across the Americas, EMEA, and APAC, and it was conducted in January. Um, there was a pretty serious effort made to ensure that a good portion of the people surveyed own cryptocurrency, and then also that a good portion of them don't. So you get a 
pretty representative population. And yeah, one of the conclusions was that the more that people feel they know about cryptocurrency, the more optimistic they are about Bitcoin's future. So you can take from that what you will. But there's also a lot of other really interesting data. It's only a 19 page report. It's a pretty visual read, lots of like charts and graphs and things like that, that you can look into to help you understand the perception of Bitcoin and by extrapolation of that cryptocurrency as a whole, because in many you know, communities and parts of the world, they're kind of synonymous and interchangeable with each other. And a few things that were interesting to me that I pulled out of this, uh, some of the top reasons why people cite they're not buying crypto, uh, they don't know enough about it. They don't know how to buy it. They feel like there are risks of theft or cybersecurity risks. Basically, if you boil it down, it's all of these UX problems and education mm. problems that Matt and I have been talking about since like 2017. <laughs> <laughs> Just huge barriers to adoption. Um, another thing that I thought was super interesting is that Bitcoin, of course, was the crypto that has the highest amount of awareness. And its awareness was over twice that of Ethereum, which was the second most known cryptocurrency. And in third place, Matt, do you want to take a guess? <laughs> Uh, is it, uh, is it Elon's, um, passion project? Uh, it's Dogecoin. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know what? Uh, I I was actually listening to, um, I don't know if you also watched this. Um, it was like a, uh, a live stream event from, I think it was like ARK Invest or something and Jack Dorsey and, uh, Elon and a couple of other people were on that. Uh, I think it was someone from Fidelity and they were like chatting through about, uh, Bitcoin and crypto as a whole. And it was actually a really interesting live stream. And it, it was really funny because uh, I, I think like Elon Musk was saying about like, um, like just giving a bit of a brief disclosure of like what he actually holds. And he was like, look, I own some Bitcoin and uh, a little bit of Dogecoin like that. And I could see like Jack Dorsey almost dying inside as like Dogecoin <laughs> being like the main thing being talked about. But, you know, when you take a step back and it's like, it's, it's pretty remarkable what that Dogecoin community have done. And I think they have never once like tried to be something that they're not. And I, and I just kind of, I really respect that piece in that they've never tried to shill that project, like the founding team as being anything more than just a meme. And I do think it's done a lot of positive stuff for the space. It is somewhat unfortunate that that is the third most recognized cryptocurrency of everything, but Hey, you know what? Uh, I, uh, I I think overall it has captured the attention of everyday people, which gives them some kind of entry point into understanding crypto. Yeah, agreed. It's uh, it's an interesting crypto, that's for sure, and it has a little bit more of a face than than some yeah. of the others, which maybe is easier to associate with. Uh, outside of this, a few other interesting things that I pulled out: people in high inflation countries like Argentina most closely associate Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. I personally really think that that's an interesting use case here. And of course, it hasn't played out perfectly, but definitely an area that I'm interested in. Another one, uh, I think this one's, it's less intuitive on the surface, but then when you dig into the data and you start to think about it, it makes total sense, which are that lower income individuals use Bitcoin more practically. So like as a means to buy goods or to exchange money, while higher income individuals view it as an investment or a way to diversify their portfolio, um, which kind of tells you how important the growth of adoption 
in lower income um, and more less less banked or unbanked um, areas of the world is. So yeah, interesting report. Like I said, we'll link to it in the description. Definitely a good one to check out. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. I, I it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it, where you have like lower income individuals actually being the ones using Bitcoin, higher income individuals less so just using it more as an investment vehicle. I think if there is one thing that highlights the disparity of access between those two groups, it's it's probably this because you know the reason likely behind that is higher income individuals just have so much more access to alternative modes of payment and um, banking facilities that lower income uh, individuals just have no access to. And this is like one of the, one of the cases where Bitcoin's original, I guess, mantra and mission is playing out, albeit in a small case um, right now, but it's, uh, yeah, it's encouraging to see. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, let's jump in and just wrap up uh, with some of our final quick hits. All right, so remember last week we talked about that $4.5 billion fund that Andreessen Horowitz has put together to focus on Web3 and crypto? Well, Binance is also joining the pool. They have raised a $500 million Web3 and crypto fund, so it's a bit smaller, but it's another huge bet. And CZ, the Binance CEO, has said that he's viewing this crypto downturn as fundamentally a buying opportunity, which I think is the same sentiment that A16Z was putting out last week. So they're going to be focused on a lot of the same things that Andreessen Horowitz are focused on, like uh, basically Web3 projects in DeFi, NFTs, gaming, metaverse, social, and more. And they'll be investing across three stages, incubation, early stage venture, and late stage growth. So yeah, Matt, I mean, what do you think of this? I I, I have to agree here. I, I feel like, you know, anytime that you have a market downturn like this, especially if you believe in the technology and you're bullish on its potential, like effectively, this is an opportunity to just scoop up more of the market and to maybe like trim out some of the 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 technology and the competitors that aren't really viable and could only survive on fake money um and identify like the the true players that are going to last long term and get a higher ROI on the money that you're putting in what are your thoughts on this yeah i think in any economic downturn um where there has been high growth preceding it consolidation often happens through mergers, acquisitions, uh, category leaders presenting themselves. And I think that Binance and A16Z in particular are very well placed to take advantage of this. And I think we're going to see this more and more. I actually listened to a really good episode of the Bankless podcast, I think yesterday, day before, um, but where they had um, Mark Andreessen uh, and Chris Dixon uh, from A16Z on they chat for about an hour it's a really good conversation they talk yeah, all about that's a really good one oh it's it, it's really good and they're, they're kind of talking through um how they are viewing investments in kind of the the next iteration of the web and i thought that that presented a really good insight i, I definitely recommend anyone listen to that podcast episode really really good um so yeah i i think we're only going to see more of it um my, my 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 big disappointment here today austin is 
what's happening in Portugal? Uh, you're you're, you're on the ground correspondent in Portugal, and I, I don't hear any stories coming from there. I I am on the edge of my seat. I need to know what's happening there. I am so sorry to disappoint. I tried. I phoned up the Portuguese government. I scoured the web. I couldn't find anything interesting enough to make it into our thirty-minute show here. But perhaps next week we will have a Portugal legal roundup. You never know. Well, I, th- I think it's essential. Can we make something up? Portugal has banned <laughs> Bitcoin. That is the story of the day. And I'm attributing that to our resident Portuguese correspondent, Austin Knight, <laughs> at him on Twitter, if you have issues with the legitimacy of that pro- uh, that story. But uh, no, we'll definitely get back and tell you all of the goings on from Lisbon and beyond uh, next week. All right, that brings us to the end. Some great uh, times in Austin. I'll see you in some Twitter spaces, making goblin noises very soon. (laughs) See you next week. See you on the internet, Matt. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.